All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts today to your voice. Allow your word to come alive through the work of your Holy Spirit to not only teach us, but to motivate us, to challenge us, and in some cases to convict us today. And then give us the grace from your throne to respond to the voice that we hear the still small voice of your spirit. I pray for myself that you would give me the ability to speak words today that come from the throne and that uh, that you would speak through me today by the word of God. I pray in the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. amen. If you don't want to be challenged or confronted today, then you might want to leave. Fifty people just turned their TVs off. (laughs) This is a message today. Actually, I'm going to try to cover the entire book of Haggai over the next two Sundays. And that's a daunting task since there's only two chapters. (laughs) But today is a message that will get just a little bit in your face. If you don't like that, then you just start squirming now. Remember, I learned this a long time ago, remember that if I point at you, I have three more pointing back at me, so it's it's all of us. Um, The title today is Keeping the Main Thing, the Main Thing. In the Deep South, it's thing, not thing. Uh, Two Sundays ago, three Sundays ago, I forget now, I talked about the fact that fear paralyzes. And it knocks us off of our mission, and that's the intent, or the intention of fear that comes from our enemy is to remove us from our mission. And today in the passage this Sunday and next, but mainly today, we will see an example of that very thing happening to the people of God. Um, We will see today in this passage and in this story that self-indulgence And self-promoting behavior will do the same thing as fear paralyzing us. I've always said the greatest theologian was Pogo. We have met the enemy, and he is us. A lot of times we blame everything on the devil, and the devil sitting over to the side saying, I'd love to take credit for that, but that's not me, dude. That's you. The book of Haggai... And by the way, there are about three or four different ways to pronounce that. Haggai, Haggai, I've heard. So you're going to have to stick with the Northwest Florida pronunciation, Haggai. Reveals a collaboration of the prophetic, the priestly, and the political leadership. Imagine that if the prophetic community and the priestly community and the political community were to get together. We just have to imagine. (laughs) And their, their collaboration was to see God's will accomplished, to see it accomplished. I believe primarily what God is after, period, and also is after in this passage and was after with the people of Judah is what James Montgomery Boyce said many years ago or wrote. He said this, the right, we need the right people living in the right place wanting to do the right thing for the right reasons. And that's what I'm asking you today to be. 
to be that right person who's in the right place, who's doing the right thing, and doing all of that for the right reasons. Uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, challenging or expecting anyone to hear this message today and go run out those doors and want to be a missionary to the Ukraine or Africa or, or uh, Watertown or, you know, anywhere. <coughs> That's not what this is about. You may. It may very well happen. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about. Uh, Haggai, if you haven't if you haven't found the book of Haggai yet, you can turn there. Just go to the Matthew, the middle, and go go uh, left a couple three books, and you'll find the book of Haggai. And uh, we're going to read the first fifteen verses or the first chapter uh, today. And I, I'm not going to try to cover every verse, uh, but I want you to see the verses. So if you would stand with me, I'm throwing you a curve today. I'm reading today from the New King James Version. And it says, in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. You should have seen the pronunciations on those two names. Governor of Judah and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, this people says my, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and then and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring, and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that it may that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but instead it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. I told you it was going to be challenging, so just hang on. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain, and on the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared, goes back to three weeks ago, the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai the Lord's messenger spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God. So on the 24th day of the sixth month, in the second year of King Darius, you can be seated. Now, Rob Shearer is in Pauly's Island or on his way there, so I'm going to do my best Rob Shearer impersonation today, which is not going to be anywhere close. But I'm going to try to give us a historical background to set this up because if we don't, this is one of those books, if you don't go back and set it up historically, you're not going to get all that 
that the, the Lord and Haggai were after. But in 586 or 587, according to some, uh, the Babylonian captivity began when Nebuchadnezzar sent and, and uh, captured the Jewish people from Jerusalem. At that time, he destroyed the temple or had it destroyed uh, completely and took uh, all of the, the, uh, uh, the Jewish people to Babylon, Babylon. And according to the Lord's word and the Lord's directing, kept them there for 70 years. After 70 years, uh, the children of Israel returned from captivity, uh, and and they began. They one of their missions of returning was to rebuild the temple. Ezra, the book of Ezra, tells us that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, and that's in Ezra chapter one, so that he made a proclamation through all the kingdom. Now Cyrus was not an Israelite, king of Persia. Today Persia is Iran. Uh, but it says this, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is, who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place, help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, free besides the free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. In other words, uh, if you can't go help, send some money, send some resources. Let's let's get the temple of God built. And he gave this edict, and uh, uh, the people of that day they became indifferent during this time, and they became neglectful to their duties. I'm not going to read. You're going to see on the screen uh, Ezekiel 3, 1 through 4, 5. We're not reading all of that, so don't get nervous. But you want to, if you're a note taker, you want to write that down. Or if you're looking at the version notes, it's there. Uh, but this gives the story of them beginning to build. I'm just going to spot check some verses. It says, though fear had come upon them because of the people of the, the these countries outside, they set the altar on its basis. So they set up the altar. Uh, and afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offerings, okay? And then we go down. It says, they also gave money to the masons and the carpenters, food and drink. So this, they supplied the folks what they needed. Uh, in the second month of the second year, uh, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the rest of their brethren, all those came out of the captivity of Jerusalem, began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple, the priests stood in their apparel and so forth. They sang, they sang, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. All the people shouted with a great shout. But when many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers, houses, old men who had seen the first temple wept with a loud voice, they wept with a loud voice because they knew this temple was not going to match the glory of the former one, or at least they thought so, so that all the people they shouted aloud for joy so the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy or the noise of weeping. So that's where we are. They began to work on the temple. And at some point, when you go into chapter 4, you find, well, let me just take a, well, I'm not going to do that. When you go into chapter 4, it says their adversaries came to them and said, hey, guys, why don't you let us help you with that? Why don't you let me help you with that? Sometimes your enemy 
It's not going to come at you with a blatant turn you 180 degrees. But if he can get you to cooperate with him, thinking he's cooperating with you. So anyway, their enemy said, let us, let us help you. And they had enough wisdom to say, uh, one version says, we have nothing to do with you. <laughs> you, you no, we're not going to let you help us. We're going to do it by ourselves. We're going to rebuild this temple. The next phrase says that they, they began to discourage the, the people of Judah. They began to offer discouragement. Now, let me just insert right here. Um, I'm careful. I'm often careful about uh, analogies and typology. I'm, I'm careful about that because if you don't watch it, you will take that too far. But this story is full of typology and analogy. And, and what we see in the spiritual, or in, in their case, in the natural, becomes spiritual to us. So just, just keep that in mind. So they began to build the temple, and they began to see opposition and began to see discouragement. And, it, and this developed into selfish pursuits that turned the people aside from their intended purpose and responsibilities. They allowed the voices of their enemy to turn them aside. They allowed the fear that comes from the enemy to paralyze them and to, to begin or stop the work. By the way, anyway, it says the word of the Lord came or comes by Haggai. The Lord intervened through his word, through his prophet. It's interesting to note that in this, in this book, Haggai uses the term the Lord of hosts 14 times, which is a, a magic, majestic type of, a, of identification of God. It's also interesting to note here, pay attention to this, Haggai's ministry lasted about four months. Four months. I want you to understand that you don't have to be in the spotlight. You don't have to be... Someone who, who is uh, uh, doing this for 100 years or 50 years or 20 years. Because he, how long did John the Baptist last? You know, my father-in-law used to say he got so excited he lost his head over the deal. <laughs> but it was a short ministry. But Jesus said none was greater than John the Baptist. And I've said this several weeks in a row. I'm going to say it again. Do not think that what God has you doing is insignificant. Don't, don't think that at all. Comes and he, They said, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Well, we got this opposition. It's really not time to build the Lord's house. Now, but don't keep in mind, they've already started it. They've already started work and they stopped. Time's not come. Time's not come. And interpreted that means we don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, do you know we all, we all justify what we want to do. We find ways to justify what we want to do. This people say, I love that phrase. This people say, it's almost like, okay, God, listen to this. Listen, God, and, and do what we want or leave us alone. This people say the time has not come. And God says, 
Who are you? Who are you to tell me the time has not come? Is it time? And other, and also, it, when they say the time has not come, they have decided that based on what? What has caused them to decide, oh, it's not time. We voted on it. It's not time. And yet God said, not only did God say rebuild the temple, God stirred up a pagan king who said, God has told me to rebuild the temple. I mean, how clear a message can you get? Lord, help me. But the opposition they faced and the struggle that they were in had weakened their resolve. It weakened their ability to say, we're going we're gonna to do it anyway. Even though they told the folks, oh, we're going to do this without you, they still quit because of facing, facing the opposition. They had, in that moment, they had lost their energy for God's purpose. They lost their, uh, in theolo- uh, deep theological terms, they had lost their pizzazz. They had lost their passion for God's, for God's work. And they thought, hey, it, it'd be okay. We just go to temple once a week, you know, and put in a nickel in the offering plate and uh, almost pay attention to what the priest has to say to us. That's good enough. That's good enough. Evidently, it was not good enough. They were taking God's house lightly. In this case, it's a physical house. It's the temple. Taking God's house lightly meant those folks were taking God lightly. Now, let me just transfer that over. Obviously, we're not talking about in our world. We're not talking about building a physical house. I know some people refer to this place and others like it as the house of the Lord. Well, it is the house of the Lord in the sense that it belongs to God. It's not the house of the Lord in the sense that he lives here. You know, you, you could turn this into a warehouse real easy. I heard somebody recently, I don't remember who, but anyway, talked about uh, calling this room in every building, not just ours, it was another church, calling it the sanctuary. Whoever it was, it might have been Alistair Begg. I don't remember. He said, how do you call that room the sanctuary? Don't you think God shows up in the nursery too? And in the fellowship hall? But we're not talking about a building. We're talking about God's spiritual temple that we're building, we're working on. We're a part of the process. Every one of you, every person under the sound of my voice who has been born from above by the Spirit of God, every one of you has a hand in building that house, spiritual house. And some some things that people do look huge, public, spectacular. And some things that people do look small. And some things are so small that people don't even know what they're doing. They might just have a four-month ministry. And yet, no less important than the person whose picture is on the billboard. Taking God's house lightly means that we would take God lightly. So in our case, if we are taking lightly our responsibility to apply ourselves to his mission, 
then we're taking God lightly. We're, we're, not, we're not serious about God. They talked about time, but they didn't have a time problem. They had a value problem. Their problem was they did not value God. They did not value God's mission. They did not value, in their case, God's house. Their values had been twisted and shaped so that they were turned inward. And their value that they found was in themselves. And so he said to them, what do you mean it's not time? So is it time for you to go home and live in your paneled houses? Now, in our world, and people don't use this anymore, but they used to put stuff in houses called paneling. And in, in, in the really old days, it was real wood paneling, planks. And if you find that in a house today, that's very valuable. But the paneling they're talking about was really rare, really rare and very expensive. So you're going to go your house with, and I don't know that God's knocking the fact that they have paneled houses, but he's pointing out the fact that they're living in a really nice house and God's house has not even been rebuilt. What about my house? Hmm. So then we deal with the non-blessing. Tried to clean it up, but it's really the curse of disobedience. Uh, we're not going to cover these verses today, but if you're taking notes, you'll see them. In Deuteronomy 28, you will find 14 verses addressing the issue of obedience and the blessing that God will send your way for obedience. But you'll also find in that same chapter 68 verses addressing what happens when we're disobedient. What do you think God was thinking about the most? He was thinking about people who had a value problem. And who took him lightly. And then he goes through this thing. I, I, I can't spend a lot of time here. He said, uh, you've planted much. You planted a bunch. But you didn't harvest much. Uh, you, you, had, you had food to eat. But, but you're still hungry. You had plenty to drink. But you're still not satisfied. You put on clothing. But you're still cold. You earned wages that disappeared down an invisible hole. You put money in your pockets and your pockets had holes in them. He said, you, you have received all of these provisions, but where are they? Where did they go? What was their problem? Well, the problem was by their actions. They were saying, God, we're building our houses instead of your house. Because we value ourselves and our comfort more than we value you and your glory. Now, this is in your face. It's in my face. We have to ask ourselves the question. Do we value God's house, spiritual house, not this place? Do we value God's house more than our own? Do we value God's desires more than our own? Sure, I like it when it gets quiet. Because all of us have to answer those questions. If your life is empty or lacking of satisfaction, you've probably misplaced 
the value of God in your life. I see people all the time that have this, this void, this, this just empty face. And, and you see no hope. I, and too many times I see Christians who walk around uh, with a long face and and, and they just they can't, they can't find that place of satisfaction. I want to tell you, being born again is great, but being born again without pursuing God's purposes will not give you satisfaction. It'll give you, it'll give you salvation and it'll give you a ticket to heaven. But my goodness, are we going to settle for just that? Please don't. He said, consider your ways. Consider, in the, in the Hebrew, the actual rendering in the Hebrew in the Tree of Life version offers it this way, is to set your heart on your ways. Take a look. Take a look. Examine yourself. Take an inventory and see what's going on. Set your heart on your ways. And then he tells them, go up to the mountain. Go up on the mountain. What verse is that? Let's see. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it. Go up to the mountain. What we need to build God's house, again, his spiritual house, what we need to accomplish our mission, what we need to apply ourselves to what God wants us to do can be found and is found in the mountain. What is the mountain? Well, the mountain is God's presence. The mountain is God himself. Um, it's interesting that God, he didn't tell them, hey, I'm going to take you up into the mountain. He said, you go up into the mountain. You go to the mountain. God won't take you to the mountain. He says, you go. What in the world does that mean? Well, then I remembered Jeremiah. And you will seek me. Oh, I, didn't, I don't have a slide for this. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 14. You will seek me. This is where the mountain is. Uh, the mountain is not just some exhilarating experience or a mountain experience, but it's where we seek God and we go up into the mountain of God, seek him and search him. He said, if you will do that, you will find me. And when you find me, you will find the wherewithal that you need to build my house. He said, you go up in the mountain, but what you did, he said, you looked for much, but it became little. And then you brought it home and I blew it away. Why? Because of my house. That's in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. I want to point out to you that God will call for a drought. I know where today it's popular to paint God as this guy who never does, never does anything to us that we would con consider bad. He never makes things difficult on us. Well, that's a, that's a different God than I've met. He said, he said uh, I, I will call for a drought. I will call for things to dry up. I will call for things to go away. He said, you, you looked for much, but it became little. Said, when, when you did collect something, I blew it away. Why? Because our value system is off. 
What is important to you? And I, I don't even know how to word this right, but just hang with me. I'm not calling for us all to be so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. I'm sure I like that phrase, but that's the best I can come up with. To be so super spiritual, nobody can stand to be around us. I'm not calling for all of us to go out of here and start witnessing the trees. But I'm calling for us to examine our values. Consider your ways and examine the value system that we hold. What about God's house? What about God's purpose? What about God's mission? He will call for a drought. He will dry the springs up. He will put holes in your pockets until he gets what? Your attention, my attention. Here's the good news. It says, then they obeyed. They said, hey, uh, yeah, you got our attention. We, we All this stuff is true. We, we're looking for stuff. You blew it away. We looked in our pockets, got holes in them. We've been drinking all kinds, and we're still thirsty. We've been eating. We're still hungry. Uh, you got our attention. It says, then they obeyed the Lord. By, by being obedient, to what was a correcting word of God. They were able to withstand God's shaking, which we'll get to in chapter 2, and to see God's hot and glory. It wasn't, in their case, it wasn't until they changed their spiritual value system that God did something about the holes in their pockets and their lack of satisfaction. Examine yourself today. Are you lacking some satisfaction? Are you dissatisfied? Is there something that you're missing? So, well, I'm, I'm, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I've been, I go to church. I pay my tithe. I, I go to small group. I do all of these things. And yet I'm still missing something. Consider your ways. Consider your value system. Once again, I'm not calling you to a worldwide evangelistic ministry. I'm calling you to do the one little thing that God has called and gifted you to do. Did you know there's a gift of helps in the Bible? A spiritual gift called helps. And I see people who have that gift, and they just help people naturally. It's like falling out of bed, they fall out of bed, and they're helping somebody. So you don't have to have this humongous ministry. And I thank God for those who do, but uh, to be quite honest, it's all of the people who have gifts of helps and those like that gift that are actually doing the work and getting more accomplished than those who are showing their face. Anyway, I'll God just leave that alone. <laughs> My daddy used to tell me, he said, now you're going to stand there with your face hanging out talking like that. They were stirred up. They had new energy from the throne of God. They were stirred up for the mission. This word stirred up that we find in this passage, it's just a word that means to awaken, to arouse to action, to open one's eyes. It's used in two metaphors, one of an eagle stirring up its nest, 
And, of course, we would identify in this part of the world uh, musical instruments being awakened or warmed up for playing. Some, I know you've went to the symphony, or maybe you haven't, but if you go to the symphony, it's, an, it's a sound to hear all the instruments tuning and you know people warming up their reeds and those things. And it's, obviously, there's no music there, no, no musical content, and yet it's a good sound because you know where it's headed. It's headed to a really good, harmonious sound coming from that orchestra. Being stirred up is allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to tune us up and to move us in that direction and have the energy to do what he's called us to do. In Isaiah 54, 50 verse 4, it talks, the Lord awakens the prophet in that passage each morning and awakens his ear to hear God's message. This is a messianic passage about Jesus, but it's also a passage about Isaiah that he awakens him every day and awakens his ear to hear. In our culture and in our world, especially in the West, we have so much occupying our attention, more and more every day. We have so much. I mean, I hate it when somebody says, can you do such and such on such and such day? And I hate it that I got to grab my phone. Let me check. I'm not, you know, of course, I do have a sticker on my tr- truck out there that says, Make America Mayberry Again. I don't know that that's going to happen. But I am praying that God would awaken us to such a degree that we we uh, disassociate ourselves with the distractions, with the voices of opposition. You read the news, you watch the news, Twitter, thank God I don't have a Twitter account. I don't have a Facebook page. I don't have an Instagram account. And any other thing the devil's an author of. (laughs) Awaken. Stirred up. I really want us to feel convicted today. So I, I don't know about that. Well, if the conviction fits, wear it. Because so many of God's people are satisfied with just going about their deal. God, don't, don't, don't interfere with my life. God, don't get in the way of what I want. Hey, I, I went to church. I did my, I, I did, I, I don't get in the way of what I want. You know, none of us would verbally say that. But as I read earlier, with our actions, we say that often. They got stirred up to come start working on the temple of God. And the Bible says they came and they worked on the house. They obeyed God. They heard God's voice through the prophet. They came and they went to work. And I'm saying to us today that we should get to work. I'm not suggesting you should quit your job and go off somewhere. I'm not. As a matter of fact, your your job in most cases is your ministry. I told you a friend of mine 
who passed away last year from Monroe, Louisiana, Jerry Lanier's. I first got introduced to Jerry in 1975 at a, at a campground in South Alabama at a retreat we were doing. Interesting story. This was June of 75, January of 1974. Jerry had dispensed of his vows as a Catholic priest. He got married to Susan, and they were still married when he passed away. He did. A, he, I told him several times, I said, Jerry, I still have your notes from that retreat, and I do. They're back there in my office because I remember what he said. He said, your priorities have to be God, family, watch this, job, ministry. Oh, we think a job's on. Somebody told me recently, man, I wish I could get rid of this job so I could serve God. Serve God right where you are. That is your ministry. In your case, God, family, job, ministry. If you're not faithful on your job, you're useless for ministry. Did he just tell me I was useless? I don't know. They came and worked. You can't get to heaven by works. You cannot. You cannot do enough to earn your way to heaven. But Ephesians 2.10 says we were created for good works. You heard me say it. I'm going to say it again. We're not a Christian because we do good works. We do good works because we're a Christian. They worked. And then in 515 B.C., the new temple was dedicated. And they had, at that, in that case, they had fulfilled God's will and accomplished what God was after. But I want to tell you that more than, than the temple being finished, what had really been accomplished was the hearts of those people turning to God's purpose and God's house. Because how many of you know that once the temple was completed, God was not finished with them. The temple's finished, the people aren't. And as long as you inhale and exhale, put a mirror under your nose and it fogs up, as long as you do that, God's not finished with you. My mother used to tell me in her last years, she would say, son, I just want to go home. My daddy's name was Joe. My middle name is Joe. By the way, I have two nicknames, Larry Joe. Southern redneck right there. There's another Larry Joe, pretty famous guy named Larry Joe Bird. Basketball fans know who that is. She'd say, I want to go home. I don't know why God leaves me here. I don't know why I'm still here. I said, Mama, I don't know what to tell you except that God knows more than you do. And there's a reason you're still here. I find it. And I'm telling you that as long as you're breathing, God has something for you to do. You may be like the lady in the Bible who sewed uh, fabric for the people in the community, sewed shawls and things. Remember, they, they got so tore up when she died, they went and got Peter, and he raised her from the dead. Well, how, 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 you're not going to find that on a billboard somewhere. or You're not going to find that on TBN. Boy, I should have left that alone. Awaken. Consider your ways. 
ask yourself the question. Am I paying more attention to my house than his house? I don't, I don't, see, I don't know the answer to that. There's only one person I can answer that for, and that's the guy standing right here in, the, in these shoes. Everybody else, you got to answer that for yourself. I pray that we find the right answer. Stand with me.